Welcome to Interparty Conflict, the podcast where we answer your questions so you can have the best tabletop gaming experience possible. My name is Gabe. My name is Jeff. And we're going to answer your questions today. But first, I have a question. Yeah. Jeff. Yep. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, um, I, I, I just got some new tires on my car. Ooh, exciting. It was exciting. <laughs> The way that I, I, it is not exciting well, is, is what I meant. But go on. The exciting part was that I didn't die on the road. Oh, that it, that <laughs> it is always exciting to continue living. Right, because like you know, this, so far this winter has been fairly mild, mm-hmm. but we had a bit of we've been having a bit of snow the last few days. A little bit, and the like the roads were pretty slick one night or when you know one morning, and I was driving Skylar to work, and I was like, this. Does not feel safe at all. Okay. Like I, like, I was like, I knew I've been needing to get some tires soon. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you were just losing traction in the snow? Uh, yeah. Well, so I was like, and then I was driving, you know, after I dropped her off, mm-hmm. I was driving out to meet up with my, my family. Okay. And like, there were points when I was just like, I don't have traction at this moment. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm going 50 miles an hour and I don't have traction. Oh, oh. Like. The yeah. slightest breeze could have just sent me spinning out. I'm like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna take this as slow as possible, sure, and go to the nearest, you know, like bell tire or whatever. Yeah, and so bell like, tire, bell tire. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so I got some new tires, which you know was needed, but and it's also but it's kind of exciting now because like driving with new tires. Yeah, like I feel nice. you know I don't want to. I don't want to like act like I'm invincible and just start going crazy. But like, I felt like I was like, yes, this is great. Like I actually like I drove like it's snowing right now and the roads aren't great. Mm-hmm. But on, on the way here, I was like, I'm fine. I'm doing good. Like yeah. I wasn't slipping and sliding at all. Like I just thought the roads were terrible. Really? It was my tires. Sure. I mean, sure. the roads are terrible, but and you like, should Jeff, be... it's like 50 degrees and sunny out. What are you? <laughs> What's wrong with you? I, gotta, I have a tan right now. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's you know it's fun I guess. <laughs> like, okay. Just okay. Having new tires on on a, on a on a car in Michigan is I don't for some reason that that was like it felt good. I was like sure. I'm glad to have not have died. <laughs> and now I now I feel like I can take on the roads. Yeah. And it's and it's good. I can understand that. Whenever whenever there's like snow on the ground, changing lanes is the scariest thing in the world <laughs> yeah. because like. There's all you know. You'll, you're driving in like a little groove, right? And people have cleared the bit of snow, uh, right? Out of the going way. from one lane to another, you who knows? You might just hit the little bit of snow in between the lanes wrong, yeah. and then spin out. Yeah, because it's like yeah, you got the the snow that kind of piles up because it gets pushed yeah. aside by all the cars. So yeah. you got this little mound of snow that you get across, and then underneath that is usually a you know, a lane marker. Sure. Which those have like a little less, tr- like a little smooth, yeah, little, yeah. little bit smoother. I'm sure they make them. So they're not sure. Depending s- on the road. Slippery, but you know, so it's like, well, yeah, you could, you could just kind of like, oops, you know, oops yeah. a daisy. So, I mean, I always try to, dri- I, I drive pretty, pretty like cautiously. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully my new tires won't change that. <laughs> so I won't start going <laughs> crazy, but uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's 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 that was my exciting weekend. That's, that's pretty <laughs> exciting. Um, so I I've I think I mentioned that I'm I've gotten back into 3D printing. Yeah, uh, I 3D printed some terrain mm-hmm. uh, last week. I think. Yeah, 
And I also, I have sitting right in front of you, I printed a little, like a little puzzle box. Yeah. It's like a little lock box thing. Yep. And I'm going to take it with me to the next D&D game at the library. And then I'm going to try to incorporate a puzzle that like the players have to open a box and I'm going to hand it to them. And then they're going to have to figure out how to open it. And then the (laughs) clue for the next thing is going to be inside there. Somebody's just going to strong arm it. (laughs) I I hope not because I'm sure they could very easily just break it open. I mean, it's actually, you know. Like just holding it, it's like it's it's fairly sturdy. Yeah. Like they're they're gonna know like right away. Like oh, it's not just gonna pop. <laughs> One open. of them just pulls out like a pair of scissors and jabs and he just stabs it. Yeah, I'm also I just bought a resin printer, Ooh. the same type that you have. Yeah, and so I'm I'm very excited to try that out. And uh, you know, because I, I I have not had great results printing miniatures on mm-hmm. my my filament. Printer. Yeah. So I'm really hoping that with the resin printer, I'm able to print a bunch of bunch of miniatures and then mm-hmm. have some really cool stuff. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll actually uh, there's there's a couple pieces of software I'll I'll, I'll send to you. Sure. That because uh, like the the default um, slicing slicer, yeah, yeah, the default slicing pro- program, like it's a it's it's kind of rough. So okay. like there's there's one that a lot of people recommend, and then there's a there's a there's one other. Um, piece of software that's like you, you go kind of like layer by layer and sure it'll sure. automatically it'll clean it up as best as it can automatically and then it'll tell you where it couldn't do that and then you go in and fix it yourself okay so cool because yeah my the current one i use for my other printer doesn't do that um i i'm sure i will have put pictures of it on the the discord or something by now but i just finished 3d printing a lightsaber yeah uh, anakin's lightsaber from from you know the first Star Wars movies, the one that Luke gets in A New Hope, although although the one that Luke gets has had some, it's it's a little bit beaten up and there's some parts have been replaced. So it's a little bit different than the one that Luke gets because that one's more like sure. broken and fixed and so on. Yeah. Um, anyway, and it looks great. I love it. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very happy with how it turned out. Yeah, it's cool. So 3D printing is awesome. Everybody go get a 3D printer. It's awesome. <laughs> Uh, enough of that. You want to go ahead and jump into this episode? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. I, this episode, I, th- I think, is... Uh, think we've got some some stuff to talk about this one so okay uh so jeff i want you to imagine you are in a market and there's Mm -hmm. people everywhere the hustle and bustle somebody's shouting out they're selling sugar dates sugar dates and figs sugar dates and (laughs) pistachios and you notice that there's a guy off in the corner there's like a a breeze blows by and some dust and like oh he's just there and he's got this mysterious look on his face and Mm. you get over there and he he whips out a map he holds it up just for a second so you can only see it for a moment you can't dedicate it to memory but he says this map leads to somewhere very very lucrative how much are you willing to pay for this map uh i'll give you i'll give you 20 gold uh give me a give me a persuasion check all right Uh, 14 14 okay okay he hears your offer of 20 gold and he counters with 30 gold. Hmm. You'll be getting thousands. Trust me, you'll be getting thousands of gold after after you have this map. I just, I got to get rid of it. You know, I got a bunch of other maps that are just taking up space. <laughs> so thir- 30 gold, he says. All right. I'll do 30 gold if you throw in the rest of those other maps. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have to clear out a bunch of space. Sold. <laughs> those are all maps to the laundromat or something. But... <laughs> The, the one the one that he was showing you he, you pay him your 30 gold and then uh he, he gives you the map and do you know where this map leads jeff where does it lead it leads to 
the Dragon's Horde. That except a, that was a bargain. Except you realize that at the top of the map, it's it's H O R D E. So basically, the dragon has an army that's about to attack town, and now you just know how to reach the army. Oh, so well. <laughs> so you got it's just a, you got swindled. It's just like a mailing address. <laughs> yep. All right. So today's magic item, uh, and the magic item in this case actually doesn't doesn't quite fit the setup, <laughs> but something else in the episode might. So today's uh, magic item is uh, submitted by DM Doom Oz via Discord, mm-hmm. who I believe is Justin from Crit Academy. I, I could be could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure that is the case. Yeah. And the item is the Star of the Astral Sea. This is a rare, wondrous item. This large sapphire pendant glows when an ally is near death, allowing you to transfer your own life force to rejuvenate them. Hmm. This necklace has three charges and regains 1d4 expended charges daily at dawn. You can use an action to expend a number of hit dice up to your constitution modifier. When you do, a creature with less than half their maximum hit points can immediately gain a number of hit points equal to half the number rolled plus your constitution modifier. A creature cannot gain this benefit again until they finish a short or long rest. Hmm. So, um, the, uh, you know, pretty, pretty simple. Yeah. You can spend an action and a charge to give up some hit points, and then they get most of those hit points. They don't get all of it. It's not right, a one yeah. to one. That would be a bit too good. Sure. But you know, the tank can the the fighter or the barbarian or whatever can transfer some hit points to the wizard or the cleric. The mm-hmm. cleric is probably a good idea. Right. Yeah. Um. And yeah, and that's that's what this does. Yeah, that's pretty good. Like, yeah, just the. Different ways to to keep people on their feet, but you know that that's more than just casting a healing spell. Yeah, I'm wondering how um, how well this would interact with the spell Shield Other. Oh, which is um, I mean, I guess it would be. I guess in my head for a moment I was like, oh, that would like conflict or something. I guess it wouldn't really. Shield Other is when you cast a spell on on somebody when that person takes damage, half of it goes to you instead. Mm-hmm. So I guess if you were to you know use the two of the you know that and this spell in conjunction, you could have a pretty good control over who has how many hit points and when. Sure. Yeah. Um, this makes me think of there is uh, in the I, I'm always talking about the podcast, the Adventure Zone, mm-hmm. um, because. Uh, it's, it's a great show. Our good friend Steve recently got into it. He hasn't finished the first campaign yet, but he's a ways into it. And um, and anyway, the, one of the story arcs, take, it's called The Suffering Game, and it takes place in this, like, dungeon or whatever where um, the players are constantly being taxed. Like, their their resources are constantly being taken from them. And yeah. not, just hit, not just hit points, not just spell slots, but, like, they end up having to give up a lot of things that, uh, you know non-tangible things, tangible things, and so on. Anyway, and one of the rules that they find out, small spoilers for this arc, but after a few episodes of being in there, they find out you're not allowed to heal here. Anytime someone gets hurt, if you heal them, they instantly lose the hit points that you gave them. So like that you, any healing spells basically have uh, no result. Right. But periodically there will be times where one person can give hit points to somebody else and it's similar to this magic item it is in it you there is some loss in there gotcha. so you could give someone you could you could spend 20 of your own hit points to give someone else 10 hit points right yeah so somebody's in a really bad way yeah you can you can kind of get them in a good spot right so like in that example like that dungeon 
is very dangerous. Like, you know, if, if there's a lot of combat, it's going to go real bad real fast. But I love, I like the idea of if you really have to transfer some hit points, you can, but it's at a loss. Sure. I, I like that. It's definitely a risk reward thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just got to do it. It's more important for the cleric to be alive than yeah. for the rogue or, or whatever. Yeah. It's kind of like if like the only healing that the party has available yet left mm-hmm. is like the fighters, uh, second wind mm-hmm. then. And, but like the healer is like, or like the, the wizard or somebody is dying. Yeah. The, the can, fighter can be worth be, it. Yeah, yeah. The fighter could be like, okay, I'll, I'll spend my life to heal this person mm-hmm. and then just second win to get myself some hit points back to make up for it. Yeah. So that's kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a fairly simple item, but I think it serves a, a good purpose. I think it's really cool. Yeah. Um, and I like that it's the star of the astral sea. I wonder, uh, I wonder what, what sort of, um, uh, flavor or world building could be gotten from that. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe like this is, uh, maybe a, a remnant of a, uh, uh, dead God or something that, that like, maybe there was a God of trade, like a God of equal trade or something like that. And this is like sure. a corrupted piece of their body that, uh, that fell into the, you know, the endless, astral sea after they died yeah somebody found it and like it's it's lost some of its power or Hmm. become cursed and so as a result like it doesn't quite trade right yeah yeah it's not an it's not a uh one-to-one trade anymore sure sure or if it was like the god of blood or something like that Mm -hmm. uh this is like an artifact created by the god of blood and every time you use it the god is literally siphoning away part of your life force. Sure, and he gets to he gets to keep. There, yeah, every he, time you, you don't realize it, but every time you use it, that god gets some of it yeah. or something like that. And then, like the more you use it, the more like he might return to power or something. Sure, like that. sure. So, like, yeah, like maybe there have been a whole bunch of these, and they're scattered across the multiverse. And once enough people use them, yeah, it like there you he, go. He comes back and starts trying to take over. Or something. Sure, sure, sure. So, so yeah, definitely some some cool potential with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that was uh, that was the Star of the Astral Sea submitted by DM Doom Oz via Discord. Thank mm-hmm. you very much, DM Doom Oz. Jeff, if anybody wanted to be like DM Doom Oz here and uh, they wanted to submit magic items for the Dragon's Horde or stories for the uh, Funeral Pyre slash Retirement Village, mm-hmm. or if they want to submit questions for us to discuss, how would they get those to us? They could send us an email at interpartyconflict at gmail.com. Or join us on our Interparty Discord at bit.ly slash Discord. That's correct. And uh, before we go any further, we have a giveaway to Ooh. give away today. We're giving away a copy of Unearthed Tips and Tricks, Volume 1 from Crit Academy, which is a great book full of character concepts, encounter concepts, DM tips, player tips, magic items, and monster variants. Tons of those. And I helped write it, and I'm working on uh, Volume 2. Cool. So, so hopefully, you know, they'll be probably coming out later this year, but uh, but hopefully that one will be made better by feedback from the first one. Sure. Anyway, so we're giving away a copy of Unearthed Tips and Tricks Volume 1. Who is our winner this week? Our winner this week is David J. Whoa, 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 winner. Gobble, gobble, gobble. Yes. Congratulations, David J. Uh, it's funny because he actually was just asking me about this the other day. And I don't want him to think that it's because of that. Right. This is, yeah. this is random chance. Yeah. I assure you. Yeah. We roll. We roll the dice for these things. Every so. time we roll it, and sometimes it comes up, and it's it's kind of uh, yeah. kind of amusing in that way. So yeah, uh, David J, you should be getting that in your email pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, be sure to leave a review on DMs Guild or or Drive Through RPG wherever you are able to get it from. 
leave a review so that Crit Academy gets more uh, more people seeing their products and so on. And also, if you, if there's a if there's a review you can send to me, that can help me try and make the what the parts that I do for the next book better. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and then I'm sure if there are uh, tips for Justin as well, I'm sure Justin will uh, will take some some reviews to heart as well. So yeah, um, thank you very much, David J, for entering. Jeff, if anybody else wanted to be like David J and enter this drawing, how would they do so? They could send us an email at interpartyconflict at gmail.com with unearthed tips and tricks in the subject line. That's correct. And also, if you want to send us like a picture of a rat or a turtle <laughs> yeah. or something cool, maybe like a cool 3D model that you that uh, you think I should print. Oh, yeah, yeah. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, like yeah, link link to like something on Thingiverse or something sure, for game sure. to print. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, so go ahead and, and uh, submit those. And also, of course, thanks to Crit Academy for providing this wonderful product that we can give away to our to our listeners to hopefully get more listeners and and so on and so on. Yeah. So yeah, thank thank you very much to everybody. Also, uh, thank you very much to all of our wonderful patrons. We have a Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash interpartyconflict. Patreon is an online platform where you can pledge to donate a certain amount of money to the creator of your choice. And uh, in return for giving it to us, we give you, we've got some uh, outtakes. We've got a monthly bonus episode that we do. We've got a monthly Roll20 game. Mm -hmm. As of this recording, we're going to be doing our Roll20 game tomorrow. And I'm very excited about it. Yeah. And also, um, I was thinking of, I'm going to be adding some more smaller, some little small rewards to each of the tiers of our Patreon pretty soon. So stay tuned for that. I'm I'm not going to say exactly what they are just yet, but... Mm. uh, um, we've had had some requests, and I'm I'm gonna try and and make that into something that we can that we can make really cool. Yeah. So, so stay tuned for that. And of course, again, if you want to help out the show and get some cool stuff in return, go to Patreon.com/slash/InterpartyConflict. See if anything appeals to you, and then uh, if so, you know, every little bit helps, and we're really thankful to everybody who has donated so far. Yeah. All right, and then one more th- quick thing: check out the other podcasts on the Crit Nation Fellowship. Check out Crit Academy. I already mentioned them. They made the Unearthed Tips and Tricks book. But every week they make new and reusable content for players and DMs alike. Mm-hmm. Also check out Brute Force and Ignorance. They are an actual play podcast on the network. And then uh, D&D Character Lab is no longer making episodes, but they've still got lots of great episodes where they uh, made characters every week and debated whose characters were better. Yeah. Enough of that. Let's get into questions for this week. All right. Our first question comes from Samuel O on email, and they ask... How would you go about trying to make a believable economy in a fantasy game world? Yeah, so a lot of people, when they play D&D, you know, um, there's different different approaches to economy. Mm-hmm. You can just not, not, worry about not it. worry about it. You know, the players buy whatever they're able to buy. They yeah. sell whatever they're able to sell. D&D specifically has some questionable rules about selling magic items. Right. Um, at, at times, um, some people try to take it a lot further and they try to say, OK, well, you know, it's it's this would happen if the you know if the players brought in this much gold from the dragon's horde to this small of a village, it would do this and so on and so on. Um, so this is kind of I, th- I think this is probably going to be the the whole episode today. Sure. Just talking about yeah, this is a big topic e- economy in D&D, how to make it work, whether or not you should try to make it work. Mm-hmm. And I guess let's get a disclaimer out there. I'm not a, an economist. <laughs> I took economics in high school. It's pronounced economist, but sorry, go ahead. my bad. I'm not an economist, <laughs> but but uh, so I mean, you know, we're not going to be like giving you some real hard hitting truths here. 
but you know, I I think we we've approaching it from a, a a DM and a player standpoint. Sure, I think that we've got we've got some some stuff to, to yeah. say. Uh, do you have any thoughts starting out? Uh, gold is shiny. There you go. Good. It's <laughs> a good thought. <laughs> That's um, the end of our show. <laughs> all right. Uh, so to submit questions, you can blah blah. <laughs> Uh, one thing I do want to say is that this, when this question was submitted, I, I kind of tweaked the, uh, the question a little bit because sure. specifically Samuel, oh, he sent me a link to, there's a Reddit post somebody made about, um, about economy in a world with magic and so on and so on. And we're not really going to be like specifically addressing this article, but I'm, I'm, there might be some things from it that I will use as examples of, uh, you know, some of the stuff that, that we're going to be talking about. So, yeah. so Samuel, oh, if you're listening, um, I, I took what I thought was the spirit of your question and that's what I'm trying to do. That's, that's what I do whenever a question isn't, isn't something that I think would, would make for a good discussion on the show. I try to take the spirit of it and then tweak it a little bit to our format. Sure. You know? Yeah. So I guess here's a question, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Do you think that a bunch of a, a players bringing a heap of gold from a dragon's horde to a small village should that have a measurable impact on the price of things in the game? Um, to keep things just simple and fun, no. Yeah. I mean, maybe that you might you might have like a little something happy happen just just kind of just as like a joke, maybe sure. or like you know, or like something that you reference back to, like oh, like the guy you actually spent all the gold on, like left town. Oh, sure. You see him later, and he's like. Got a castle. Or right. Something. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you might come across another town later and it's a town that he started. And, and like, yeah. you know, maybe he's not doing so hot because he doesn't know how to start a town. <laughs> sure. You know, like he's like, yeah, he's like, he, we, no more money was coming in. That's that's how economy works. What did you do? What happened? Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so it's like, yeah, there. Yeah. He was like started started a town. We can't keep up with inflation. <laughs> hoping Sorry. that like more adventurers would show up with more gold. Yeah. Realizing that it's not going to happen that often. Sure. I don't know. Um. But you know, beyond yeah, beyond that, I feel like you sh- it shouldn't be too crazy, and um, like unless that's what the the exactly. campaign is about. Exactly, this is one of those things that like if the campaign is about economy, right? I could imagine some people having a blast with it. Some people that are like, because you know, there's always the guy that's like really really into chemistry and then when something happens in the game that it's like oh my goodness that's like a a chemical thing i know how to deal with that right they have a blast i could imagine someone or a group of players that are very into economics Mm -hmm. or economic things or whatever and i could imagine them having a really good time with like oh but what what is the impact of this sure what is the like the 10 year what like what's going to happen down the line but i think that for most groups it is that is a level of granularity that is not going to add anything measurable unless it is just like you said, a little reference later on. Oh, you come back to the town and all the buildings are twice as big. Right. Because yeah. This town now has money and they're able to whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause it's, it's hard to, it's hard to quantify like exactly what that amount of gold would do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there are some rules for it in most of the editions, like to some extent there might be like, you know, like the average wages of of certain types of jobs and like how much, you know, how much a keep would cost for upkeep or something sure, like that. Sure. You know, like they, you know, they do get into some details. I think, you know, a fifth edition, I think Xanathar and uh, the DMG have some 
stuff regarding. Well, so I, I just grabbed my player's handbook and whenever, cause okay, occasionally on Reddit or whatever, there will be a post that's like, uh, you know, how much is a gold piece worth? And you always get people that are like, well, one ounce of gold in the year that, uh, the book came out was valued at this much. So therefore blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, no, that's, that's not, that's not what they're asking. <laughs> that's, that's like, that is not the answer Yeah, because like, that's, you can't, you can't, the, no, there's so, there's so many, so many yeah. things different between the two. Yeah. What they're asking is like, you know, you're, they're trying to wrap their head around the concept of a gold piece. Like sure. how much is a gold piece as in like, you know, to my real life currency, mm-hmm. like, does that equate to a $20 bill? Sure. So, uh, according to the player's handbook in fifth edition, cause this is slightly different than third edition, for example, sure. uh, a, an untrained hireling makes two silver a day. Mm-hmm. So, so like the, that's probably, that is probably the best example of what a, like an average person, not a skilled, not a craftsman, right? not a blacksmith, but like an unskilled person just going day to day. Your average commoner is probably going to make two silver a day. Yeah. Um, and looking at the, like the lifestyle costs, a, a poor lifestyle is two, two silver a day. Yeah. So, so they're just they're they're breaking even. Yeah, just someone eking by two silver a day. That's probably the majority of the commoners are making that much. Yeah, it's too yeah. relatable. <laughs> sure. And then similarly, a a skilled craftsman, so probably a blacksmith or whatever, makes ten times that much. So two gold per day mm. for a a skilled skilled worker as opposed to an unskilled worker. Yeah. And so that that is a two gold is a comfortable lifestyle. Okay. So most people, anybody who is not an adventurer or like royalty, is probably making between two silver a day and two gold a day. Yeah. So if you're trying to figure out how much, you know, how in in the world, how much is a gold piece? Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's for a skilled craftsman, it's half a day's wages. So you know, I don't know how much the average uh, uh, amount of money a person makes. Right in America today, right? But, but yeah, that's that's at least something you can wrap your head around. Yeah. You know? So I I would say maybe as a rule of thumb, maybe it's not a hundred percent accurate, but for a rule of thumb, a gold piece might be about twenty bucks. Maybe maybe a little more, maybe a little less. So yeah. so if you're like, yeah, I toss the guy a gold piece, then that's like tossing them twenty bucks. Yeah. So if if you're like at a tavern where a drink is is I don't know a copper or like a silver or something like that, tossing them 20 bucks is the equivalent of like, yeah, you got like a large drink at McDonald's and he tossed him a 20 and then drove away. So like, that's, that's a, that's going to be a lot. Yeah. You know, um, is that going to destabilize the economy? Mm. Hopefully not. Hopefully this episode will not make that ever even a thing. Yeah. Um, one thing that has to be taken into account though, when making, when talking about a quote unquote believable economy, and I do like the word believable because realistic yeah. should, no, should not be in here because oh. magic. Ma- yeah. Monsters. Right. Like magic. Mon- yeah. And monsters. There's like so oh many. There's so many different like it, like so many different civilizations living in like the yeah. same area. Yeah. Like you like have all the different races and sure the the game just gets to be. I find it so much simpler just to say, yeah, the no, that's just what it is. That's just how the economy works. Right. Because it becomes so much more complicated if like, okay, you're in uh you're in a small village, 
So now we have to adjust the cost of everything. Everything's cheaper because they don't have as much money here. But then also this. they have a lot of wood. So anything made of wood is is less valuable. So you can't sell those. Uh, you can't sell that bow and arrow because they've got <laughs> too many bows and arrows here. Right. Or, oh, they have a lot of iron. So you get less money for selling whatever. I, I think that unless, again, unless the game is about the increasing and decreasing values of different things it's very easy to just say okay yeah a long sword is eight gold or whatever wherever you are a long sword long sword is eight gold um we'll talk about magic items i'll get to magic items in a little bit yeah but in this this reddit article it was uh the the title was the mithril standard economy in the time of wizards mm-hmm. um a few things that they mention is that with all of these like fantasy things that adventurers deal with Normal people are probably going to have to deal with those too. And as a result, a lot of things are going to be a more precious because it's going to be a lot harder to get things. Or at least if you're going for quote unquote believable or whatever, mm. because if you're a miner and you're just mining iron in the real world, yeah, sure. People just went down into a pit. They mined iron. They came back out with iron. Sometimes people died. But in a fantasy world, you might shoot. You might have just opened up a pit to the uh, the underdark, right? And now there's uh, there's there's drow coming through. Now there's mind flayers attacking your village. So, <laughs> so yeah, it, there's the regular dangers of mining. Yeah, uh, you know, cave-ins and whatnots. And, sure. And then you got and then uh, you got existential threats. Right. Freaking uh, umber hulks. And, yeah. What What do you do if yeah. you're mining and a freaking umber hulk comes through? They just walk because they can just waltz right through the stone, or, like it was light brush. Because or, <laughs> they're just they're that strong. They yeah. just crash right through. They just Kool Aid man through the wall. <laughs> um. So you know, if you're going for believable, certain things could be really expensive. Yeah. But then also there's magic. Magic in general can take a lot of things and make them into more valuable things. You can use the um, fabricate spell to take raw materials and make them into finished products instantly. Right. So although it's a fairly high level spell, any, yeah. you know, if you are, are a high level caster, you are you can now also be a, you know, a master craftsman. Maybe not sure. a master craftsman, but right, yeah. you can be a craftsman of anything. Yeah. And so like a village around an archmage's tower or whatever could very well have tons and tons and tons of very high quality things mm-hmm. that they made for basically nothing. Right. Um, in, in earlier editions, there were spells where you could permanently, you could like take a small amount of a material and make more of it. In fifth edition, I, I there are, it might be an equivalent, but I a cursory looked through the player's handbook, didn't find any. But with magic, you can find access to things easier. Right. You can cast locate object and be like, where's gold? Where's yeah. diamonds? Find gold. You can open up a gate to the elemental plane of Earth and bring in stone and and gems and minerals. What's the what's that one monster that like can detect gemstones or something like that? It's an it's uh, an it's in, an Earth elemental like they're like z- z- Zorn. Zorn. Oh, can Zorns do that? I know they they can tra- they can travel through stone similar to a uh, um. An Umber Hulk, but when they do it, it's like they're swimming through it. Umber Hulks are just bashing their <laughs> way through it. Um, Zorn, I think Zorns are probably what you're what you're thinking. Yeah, because I think they eat they eat gemstones. I, yeah. I think, but yeah. so they can like detect them. Yeah. So I mean, like there are there are ways to use magic. Again, some of it is high level magic, but I mean, if you if you're you're in a kingdom where the king has an archmage on his, you know, in his 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 
court or whatever. Yeah. Like that kingdom is going to have tons and tons of raw materials, tons and tons of finished products. Mm -hmm. Heck, a lot of the raw materials out there might just be like longstanding uh, shadow illusions that are like quasi real that for all (laughs) intents and purposes are real. They're just made of shadow illusion material or Ooh, whatever. What if like there's like an art mage who can like create, like he he basically creates like materials, mm-hmm. and they're like for all purposes they work the same as the real thing, but they're they're still illusions. Yeah. And then when he dies, all those materials disappear. So like he okay. could have okay like basically like created this whole like this whole like civilization could have been based on these materials that were just coming out of nowhere. And then this archmage dies, and then it literally crumbles. Like Jeff, that's really cool. It's just like like there's like a city disappears overnight, and people can't <laughs> understand why. Yeah, and you and like the play and like the players have to like figure out that it's tied to the death of this one archmage. Sure, who sure. created who would create stone from nothing, and then they have to find a way to resurrect that archmage uh-huh. so that all of the stuff can be brought back. Right. But then maybe they find out he doesn't want to be right. brought back. I was going to say, he's just be like, no. <laughs> so then they forcibly make a clone of him and then oh. use a wish spell to put like a demon soul into him or something. <laughs> Wait, what? So, I don't know. <laughs> D- don't worry about it. Some some sort of something. That's that's a cool, that's an idea for a plot right there. Um, we'll call it Fiddler on the Roof. Wait. <laughs> what? I don't know. So uh, one thing that I think is is maybe relevant to bring up is the world of Eberron. Mm-hmm. Eberron is, you know, kind of built on the idea of having a high fantasy magic economy. Yeah. In that there are these families that are for centuries have been born with these magical abilities to perform some kind of a trade. Probably the the easiest example I always give is House Caneth. They are born with some of them are born with magical abilities to be really good at crafting things. Mm-hmm. So as a result, if you want a really good crafted product, you find someone from House Caneth. Right. Even if it's not someone who has that magical ability, everybody else in the family is probably still going to be tr- really well trained in right. craftsmanship. Yeah. Like they're they're known for it because they, you know, they they kind of have to be because of their their right. dragon marks. Um I I think it would be interesting to have a campaign or even just a little subplot or something about a blacksmith who's just been trying to, you know, ply his wares, but nobody's buying from him because they know the next town over has, you know, someone from House Caneth and everybody just goes over there right. to get their stuff made instead. Yeah, like, yeah, this poor guy, just because he wasn't born in the same, the, the maker family. Exactly. It's like, well, I like, hey, I'm still good too. I'm a good craftsman, maybe not magically good, but I'm still a good craftsman. Right. Why does this other family get to come and do all this stuff? Right. Now, the cool thing about Eberron is that because this is part of the backstory of the world, it fed into the world building. So, like, there is a lot more technology because there's people that are really good at crafting, because Mm -hmm. there are people that are really good at working magic into whatever their trade is. Right. Yeah. 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 Magic is just sort of born in the world. Like, you you know, it just it's just always there. Like, there's always you're always going to find magic somewhere sure sure so i really like that but then again that's because it's what the game is about yeah that's what eberron is about mm. is what if there's a world where magic is more commonplace and it's become part of the economy mm. part of society part of technology and so on and so on so I, I i like that about eberron i think that's one of the many things that makes eberron really cool um i guess let's uh what we can probably come back to this some of the stuff in the future but let me talk about 
things that I don't like about the D&D economy, the way that it's presented. Okay. You find a magic item in, in a dungeon. Uh-huh. You find, uh, let's, because 5th edition is kind of loosey-goosey with the buying and selling magic items and prices and so on. Let's let's dip back into 3rd edition a little bit. Okay. You find a plus one sword in a dungeon. Mm-hmm. According to the, the Dungeon Master's Guide, a plus one sword has a market price of 2,000 gold. Mm-hmm. If you want to buy one, if you didn't find it in the dungeon, you have you have a sword, you want to make it magical, you have to pay someone 2,000 gold to make it plus one. Right. So then you find a plus one dagger or something in in the dungeon and you want to sell it. What happens, Jeff? Uh, you could sell it for... A thousand gold? Yeah, you sell it for, in third edition, you sold it for half. Yeah. Whatever you find was only that was just that's just part of the game. Right. You know, and of course DMs could play it otherwise. They could allow you to haggle and they could make a mini game or whatever. Or depending on the situation, say you can sell it for seventy five percent or twenty five percent if you're in a high magic area. Yeah. But it was just kind of ridiculous that like, yeah, no, no, no. The game is based around the balance of a plus one weapon costing 2000 gold. So the DM is very much encouraged to make buying magic items cost 2000 gold, but they don't want the players to be able to freely mix and match. So selling it, there is a loss right. similar to the magic item that we talked about earlier with the, the loss and hit points. Mm-hmm. There was always a loss if you bought something and then sold it. Right. Which is kind of stupid. I understand that in the real world, if you're reselling something, it's probably going to be for cheaper. But I don't necessarily think that that is like a law of physics. Depending on the situation, you can resell something for close to what you bought it for, if not the same amount, depending yeah. on you know how in need somebody is. Right. It's just all about finding the right person. You always got to ask, why can't I be the guy buying it for half price? Who am I send- selling it to? Yeah. And why can't I be that person? Yeah. Why, why can't I? I'll just go stand in a store and wait for somebody to show up with a. Yeah. A, yeah. Like, yeah. There's I'll... other adventurers in this world. <laughs> if if the guy that I'm buying stuff from, if he's selling magic items to lots of adventurers because he's making a business out of it, can I just wait outside his store and sell this for 75% instead of 50%? The, the whole thing with economy is it's, you gotta, it's, it's, it's asking the question of like, how many people how many heroes or adventurers are there out there? Yeah. Cause if there's only the PCs, mm-hmm. then it's, it feels like the whole economy is based around like duping them, you know, like I guess, it's kind of I based guess. around like taking advantage of the PCs and their ability to go and raid the, the dragon. So it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. We'll, we'll sell you these uh, magical items. It's going to yeah. cost mm, how many, how much gold did you find in the dragons? <laughs> oh, you found 4,000, 4,000. Oh, well, that's oh, cool. That's what a coincidence. <laughs> Um, in, in the game, final fantasy 10, there's a quote that I love. It's, it's near the end of the game. Oh yeah. There's this merchant that like you've been <laughs> running into throughout the game. Uh, um, Rin is his name. Okay. And there you're like, you're on an airship. You're about to go fight. I don't think it's the last boss, but it's like, you're about to go fight some giant flying monster. And one of the main characters, if you interact with this, this merchant on the airship, you're like, the world's going to end if we don't kill this monster. You won't give us a discount. And the merchant replies, I am confident you will succeed. <laughs> I think that's great, but it is hanging a lampshade on this thing that is ridiculous. If everybody knows the village is going to be destroyed if you don't kill this dragon, right? they're not going to charge you 100% of market price for this thing. Sure. And 
it's it's ridiculous okay another example that i think does it well (laughs) is uh um, it's not a game but back to the future three okay marty mcfly has uh spoilers i guess gone in the past he's in old west times right and he has inadvertently angered mad dog tannin the 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 village tough or whatever and mad dog tannin challenges him to a gunfight and he doesn't know what the heck he's gonna do but like a guy comes up hands him a gun and he says i'll give you this for free because if you win everybody's gonna know that this is the gun that you know won this battle or whatever yeah i haven't seen the movie in like 15 years maybe i'm getting some of the details wrong but that's about that sounds about right that i would love to play in a game where merchants were like that sure i will give you this for free pay me back after you get that after you kill a dragon and you get its horde sure i would love something like that yeah yeah it's like yeah i want yeah i want the sword that killed the dragon to be the one that I made. Exactly. You know? yeah. I want the world to know that, you know, my, not need to come up with a name, uh, uh, Coppersmith. I want everybody to know that Coppersmith swords are the ones that, you know, that saved the village from, from certain doom. Right. Like even a little bit of that. I mean, maybe I'm sure there are DMS that do things like this. Mm. And especially, like I said, in fifth edition, the, the game is a lot more loosey goosey with, prices for magic items so nowadays there is probably more room for this sure but a lot of us you know grew up uh, in this era of no 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 you buy it at this much you sell it at half as much yeah fourth edition made it even worse in that i believe the default selling price was 10 percent of what you bought it for Yeesh. that game was a lot less grounded in in story however a lot a lot less grounded in believability mm-hmm. but still there should have been i'll i'll <laughs> there should have been some sort of a rule I'll, I'll i'll probably get to this i guess i'll just get to this right now i this is kind of an all over there all all over the place episode but <laughs> for a long time i've had an idea that i i want to come up with some sort of a system and it could be just a very very simple system mm-hmm. for separating the money you spend on magic items for character advancement mm-hmm. and the money that you spend in universe. Right. Because let's say you're a, you know, a fighter. Again, this is in like third edition days. Let's say you're a fighter that has a plus four sword and you want to get a plus five sword. Mm-hmm. You want to make your sword plus five instead of plus four. A plus four sword was like, I think, 36,000 gold plus five sword was 50,000 gold. So for 14 thousand gold which again we talked about the average person making uh, the average skilled worker making two gold a day in fifth edition i think in third edition i think it was one gold a day so you're making several years you're paying several years wages depending on the setting like i would even say for fourteen thousand gold you can buy yourself a castle sure that's probably in a stronghold builder's book somewhere. Yeah. For so for 14,000 gold, for enough money to buy a castle, you are saying I would like 5% higher accuracy when I swing this thing. <laughs> like what is that? <laughs> yeah, what even is that? What even is that? It doesn't make sense for, for to me. It doesn't make somebody else might have a perfect way of imagining it, and that's fine. But to me, it makes no sense for that to be something the character is doing. I can understand the player. Yeah, is like I want my I want my attacks to be more accurate. So whenever I roll, I have you know I have I have a plus one to all my rolls. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm willing to spend this much of my character advancement in order to get this. 5% increase in in attacks. Yeah. 
but it does not make sense when it is in universe. Does does this person walk up with a bag of 14,000 gold, enough money that any any like organ any thief's guild could sustain themselves for years. Right. If they just steal from that steal one Steal from this one person who is walking around with that much money to begin with and then handing it over for something that is so intangible and might not you you probably couldn't even convince someone that that was a real thing. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't make sense to me for that to be something the character is doing because that is so not in universe. That is definitely a mechanics thing, not a flavor thing. Yeah. I can understand. Yes, you're making it more magical. Or if instead of making it plus four to plus five, you're making it plus four flaming. Okay, sure. You're adding fire to this magic sword. Yeah. But again, the amount of money that you are handing over to someone in good faith that they will then enchant this thing. It's just, it's bonkers to me. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've enchanted your sword. Yeah, it's it's totally better the better now like yeah yeah about five percent yeah five percent sounds about right <laughs> right yeah yeah and then you're just rolling and rolling like well like the the character doesn't know that they're rolling a dice maybe it's psychosomatic yeah right. it feels like i'm i'm swinging better awesome when actually no they didn't do anything they just like okay they cast continual light on the on the thing so now it glows, glows. like it's like it's on fire <laughs> and I understand, like, okay, in a world with magic, there's going to be... Bob's discount magic items, where it's just just cast light on it. Well, I was going to say, there's going to be people that are like, oh, yeah, bring your magic items to us. We'll check on them and see if they're actually magical or yeah. something. You know, <laughs> there's going to be a shop that does. There's going to be some business that does that. It's um, Rick and Morty, where it's the devil that's with exact, the cursed items. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking of. You get the cursed items from the devil's store across the street. You bring it over here. We'll get rid of the curse. For a, a moderate fee. You know. Right. Um, so the way that I, I tried to do this in the fourth edition campaign that we ran a few years ago mm-hmm. was you have a certain amount of money in game that is actual currency your character has. Your character has a certain amount of gold. You've got, I don't know, 100 gold or whatever in your pocket. Yeah. We When we had uh, DMs of Vancouver on a few episodes ago, they talked about giving the players physical coins. Like you have a bag of physical coins. That you have, and that's how much money you have. Right. That's great, but not when they've got 14,000 of them. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is why it makes more sense when the player, the character rather, only has 30 gold. But you've got, I don't know, 10,000, I think I called them story points. Sure. To spend on advancement. Yeah. So like... Basically, instead of giving the players, okay, you killed the dragon, you each get 10,000 gold. It's you get 9,500 gold. And 500, or sorry, you have 9,500 story points mm-hmm. and 500 actual gold. Yeah. So you have a lot of gold to represent the fact that you just killed a dragon that canonically has a big hoard of gold. But as far as whether you are going to hand over a fortune to someone to give you a, a mild increase in your weapon accuracy, mm-hmm. that's not a thing that happens. Instead, you're just spending a mechanical currency f- instead of in-world currency yeah it's not elegant i know it's really yeah. kind of clunky but I'm, it, it I'm, does something important yeah i'm thinking something maybe something like a like a trophy system maybe okay. where like you're like at the end of a quest or you kill a monster or something like that like yeah. you get you know maybe a few coins or whatever sure, sure but you would get like you take like the the you know the fang of the dragon or something or like Ooh. a scale or something and that that equates to 
you know, 2000 story points or that equates to 2000 gold in, okay. in, you know, magical items or something like that. So yeah. like you could trade in these physical things so that they, they, they have, they, you know, they have something that represents them, but it's like, but it's not gold. So you can't just like, Hey, I got this piece of a dragon, you know, somebody's <laughs> going to go like gross, you know, like yeah. they're not going to do it. You, you can't buy beer with that. What if you could? <laughs> what if you could? <laughs> so it's like, yeah, some something you're not going to be able to like go to the convenience store and buy something with, but you know, you could play it as like, oh, you take that scale to a blacksmith, mm-hmm. and they, you know, form it into your new shield. Sure, that you, sure. You know, I think that that could definitely work. Yeah, if, if yeah. it is that you are grabbing a, a trophy from your from your kill and and so on and so on. Yeah, um, yeah, that that could definitely work. I just um. Again, I, th- I think it's 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 ridiculous when when the numbers just get higher and higher. Because again, again in fourth edition, not only is there the ridiculous, oh, you sell it back for ten percent or whatever. Yeah. But fourth edition's numbers for like the amount of gold you had to spend. Yeah. Was ridiculously yeah. high. You were spending millions of gold right. on an item that it was just like, oh, now I get a D eight instead of a D six when I use this ability once per day. Sure. And it's just because like the game was, was segregated into different tiers of power. So like right. an item that you could get as a heroic tier. So levels one to 10 might give you a D six every, let's say a D six health every time you, you use your healing surge or whatever. And then that same item fit for a, a, um, for like the next tier, like 11 to 20 would give you a D eight, but the cost would jump up like a hundred times right? just because, Oh, you're a higher level. So you're expected to be getting higher rewards and so on. Even though the actual benefit was almost non, like the, the difference was almost non-existent. Right. The fourth edition was so screwed up as far as like, magic item costs mm-hmm. and just magic items in general. I didn't, I think in, in our fourth edition game, I said, these aren't magic items. Like this is not a magical glove that you wear. This is literally just an upgrade to your character. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure is how I said that. Yeah. That, that's it. Sounds right. Yeah. So like my main issue is just with, is mainly with fourth editions economy and how they did stuff. Third mm. editions was also pretty stupid. Yeah. It got, it got pretty crazy. Now in fifth edition, be, again, that like there are the the player's handbook and the dungeon master's guide don't give don't really give prices for magic items right there there are some examples in the dmg of there's like a little chart for like by rarity xanathar's guide had had some sort of a um a chart or something that was different than the one the dungeon master's guide (laughs) so there are there are some rules on how much magic items should cost I actually, the more I, I listen to it in like actual plays and stuff, the more I like the idea of the DM specifically tailors magic item costs to the campaign hmm. in that if they gave out 500 gold last session because the players did something really cool, then that's kind of the baseline for the cost of the magic items they introduce because, well, they've only got 500 gold. I could give them this one item that is 400 gold and that would be basically all of it. I could give them these two items that cost 200 gold. They could they could buy each of those. Maybe like one thing is cost 600 gold and then they have to spend all of what they just got plus have a little bit saved up or yeah. hang on to what they have now, save up and then buy it later. I kind of like that, but 
it is a lot more work for the dungeon master. Mm-hmm. I, I like how I like the dynamic of it. I don't like the additional workload. Mm. I liked in third edition how everything was pretty standard because it was easy. Like I, I put this much gold in it because I know that if they have this much gold after this adventure, that means they can buy this, 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 and this because that's how much the items cost. Yeah. But then you end up with, well, that means that the economy is really weird. <laughs> and that means that every player is expected to have this much gold's worth of magic items at X level and so on. Yeah. I think with fifth edition, because there's no prices, there's no set prices on treasure and or on uh, magic items. Like mm-hmm. I do see more people just sort of like, you know, the, you're finding the magical items that you need in the dungeon that you're in. Yeah. Sort of thing. They'll kind of like th- just kind of throw that out, th- throw them out there or they kind of give them as gifts to the players or something sure. like that. And, and that, that can be fine. Mm-hmm. But I find that in those cases, a lot of the time the DM is also giving out gold and then the players have nothing to spend it on. Sure. When fifth edition first came out, I heard a lot of complaints of people that were like, we've been playing for six months. My character has 5,000 gold. What do I spend it on? That, yeah. Because at the time, like there weren't really magic item prices. So like, I can't spend this on magic items. All the non-magical gear in the player's handbook is like five gold. Yeah. So what do I do? And then, you know, people would be like, oh, put that towards building a castle or buying property or whatever. Because in earlier editions, getting property was like a big status thing for once you reach level 10, you got a keep or whatever. Yeah. But they didn't have adequate rules for that at the time. Now there's been some fifth edition stuff that does have rules about buying property and, and building such and so on. Mm. Um, but I don't know. It's it's it's. It's a very, especially if you played video games, it's a very natural thing for the dungeon master to want to give out money. Yeah. Because it's just expected. Yeah, you killed a monster, so you get money. That's Mm -hmm. just how it is. You get money and you get experience. But without good things to spend it on, then you end up with, okay, well, how is this going to affect the economy? I've got a thousand gold. Can I spend it in this little village? What do you do? You know, Mm. I mean, because this is about, this is about like in, in game economy and such. Right. Um, to sort of come back around to the original question, like I, I really feel like you shouldn't try to establish how the economy works unless that is the point of the game. Right. It, even if it doesn't make sense for you to spend a thousand gold in this little town of 12 people, it happens because that's the easiest way to, to deal with it. If mm-hmm. you want there to be repercussions later on, sure, make an adventure out of it. If the players spend a whole bunch of gold and then you realize, you know, maybe that should have destabilized the economy. Okay. Have an adventure later on where now, I don't know, someone's used all that gold to hire an assassin and kill the players because they screwed up the town. Yeah. Or now the town is too big and now the town is attracting all of these, all these criminals and, (laughs) and a dragon is now attacking that town because, because they've got money. So the dragon wants to, you know, steal all the gold and hoard it. Because yeah, like as a as an experienced player, I've started just sort of like tossing money around. Yeah, it, it, especially in, in, in like in fifth edition, because because like yeah, you do end up with a lot of gold and not not really much to spend it on. Yeah, so like it's like oh I I need the I need these NPCs to do a thing. I just toss them a few gold, they'll go wild. Yeah. You know, like because because they're only earning two silver a day. Yeah, I'm gonna throw them five gold, and they are my 
best friend for yeah, a week. A week's wages yeah. that you just you just tossed in. Right. So like, you know, it's so easy to like And sorry, I, if they're beggars, that's more than that's that's right. a, that's a ton of money. Yeah. But like a, a normal worker, that's a week's wages. Yeah, start. so I'm just like, yeah, no, no, yeah. You like that that is the best charm spell you could ever have. You can ever <laughs> right. have. Like you're just like, yeah, we need like we're walking into town. We need some information. Just give people money, mm-hmm. you know, and like and it's like the DM's job to kind of like, you know, you know, find ways to like maybe like, OK, like you give a guy a gold and then the next guy you're going to be like, well, I want two gold, you know, and like just kind of yeah. keep going. And by the by the time, you know, you know, first first or second level, you really don't have a ton of money to mm-hmm. be doing that. But yeah, like. Because because I know that they only make two silver, it's like yeah, I'm just gonna like I'm gonna get fifty gold for this, like up front for this quest. Yeah, yeah, like I'm good. Like you know, there are there are some games that instead of keeping track of how much money you have, have you make a wealth check. Okay. I don't know any like current games that do it. I mean, I I'm sure there are they are out there, but like I know D20 Modern did that, which was uh, back in like the early two thousands. Um, Third edition D and D, I think it was Wizards of the Coast made a modern version of it that was pretty mm. closely. It was it was a D twenty system, mm. and instead of having X number of dollars, it's just your your um you know you've got like a plus three wealth skill, and then every time you make a purchase, you roll that. If you succeed, you still have the same amount of wealth. If you fail, now you've only got a plus two. And then next time it's harder to do. So like the more stuff you buy, yeah. maybe the DC goes up and, you know, up and down depending on what it is you're buying. Sure. So the more stuff you buy and the more expensive stuff you buy, then the less you'll be able to buy in the future because your your skill will get lower and lower. Yeah. That's a, that, that's sort of similar to real life to where like rich people <laughs> don't of. have to spend as much because they get given free stuff because they're rich. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... It's like, oh, you have tons of money. Here's some free stuff. Yeah. Oh, you're poor? Yeah, no, that'll be 20 bucks. (laughs) Right. So, um, so I mean, like, if... Because I I was going to say... Because I don't want to just have the answer be like, oh, don't do it. Right. (laughs) If you do want to make some sort of a believable economy, like, I I would try to have it be less about the actual amount of of money that is being being spent. Maybe make a skill challenge out of it. If if you do want... If you want the players to to just use whatever costs and such are in the player's handbook if they mm-hmm. want to buy a you know a pound of saffron and a goat or whatever <laughs> just have them you know they can spend whatever the amount is in the book but a pound of saffron <laughs> or whatever i'm trying to think of what the trade goods well are. yeah no. like i i mean i guess let me let me back up here a little bit like just go by the costs in the player's handbook and and the whatever whatever magic item costs you've come up with in the if you're using the ones in the Dungeon Master's Guide or whatever, just use whatever costs are already established. But if you want it to feel like this is having an impact on the world, start introducing skill checks. Mm. If they do spend a whole bunch of money in the place, maybe next time they go to buy something, if they fail on a persuasion check or whatever, they aren't able to buy it because now the guy wants a whole bunch more money because now the economy has been destabilized or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, make it as big of a thing or as little of a thing as you want it to be. But I I, I don't think that it's going to make the game measurably better if you just make it more complicated. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, that's, that's always kind of my attitude is like more rules don't necessarily equal more good. Yeah. So, you know, try to try to keep it simple. Just like, yeah, a skill check every now and then. 
maybe just describe the effects of what you're seeing. Maybe um, there's uh, there's a lot more counterfeiting going on because there's a lot more gold in the economy. So now every time you buy something, the shopkeeper like bites the gold to make sure that it's real gold because, yeah. you know, they never would have counterfeited a bunch of gold back a few months ago because it, everybody would have noticed it because mm. there's no gold in this economy. What are you doing? Mm. But then when you sh- when when everybody's got gold in their pockets, one gold coin here, one gold coin there and so on and so on. Um, I guess let me ask, is there any sort of like other type of trade good that you think would be worthwhile to use instead of gold, instead of coins? Like I know that, again, in fourth edition... Here's another weird thing about fourth edition. I mentioned how like the the magic items would be like millions of gold. This was also the edition where it was a hundred copper to one silver, a hundred silver to one gold, and then like four thousand gold to one astral diamond. So they were <laughs> they were sort of trying to present there was like a you know an, an additional currency astral diamonds that were like oh this is what like planar travelers use because they've just got so much money that they yeah. use these diamonds but then it's like di- diamonds are not a standard size or shape or anything how big is an astral diamond if you show up with an astral diamond that's like a little bit bigger is it worth more yeah and then doesn't that defeat the whole purpose of having coins if it is how do you are you minting diamonds <laughs> anyway i don't know just the way that these diamonds are made May, they maybe are, i didn't look into the lore enough they uh, are a naturally occurring diamond that are exactly, exactly the, the same. same shape every time whatever. yeah they're they're actually like single atoms of it you know <laughs> okay okay i'm on board right there's the episode of futurama where yeah. um there was like the prize for winning some kind it was a tiara with like one atom on top of it right but that atom was gigantic right yeah it's just a really huge uh you know element yeah yeah so so anyway I don't really know if there is like one good way to make a believable economy. I just think I'll put the link to the the mithril standard thing I mentioned earlier in the show notes because there is some interesting stuff in it. I just don't necessarily think that it it doesn't really solve anything. It basically just says, oh, everything would be more expensive and less expensive at the same time. Sure. So, you know, because if, if you are mining, you're going to fall into the underdark sometimes. If you're cutting down trees, some dryads are going to take issue. A king wouldn't send a shipment of a billion gold coins. They would send like three suits of adamantine armor, which takes up way less space and is just as expensive or is worth just as much money. Right. And, you know, it is it is interesting to see how different, um, different fantasy series deal with making their economy just a little bit different than everybody else's. But in my opinion, it's, it's usually just set dressing and it rarely makes you know, a, a, a significant impact on anything. Right. When the, I think the game is just at its best when it is running smoothly. If you want to put in a skill check to make it more difficult, go for it. Maybe you can come up with your own system on how, how, you know, the skill checks get harder as this party spends more money irresponsibly and so on and so on. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't know if we had a helpful answer, Hopefully it was an entertaining answer. Sure. At the very least. And at least we know that gold is shiny. Gold is very shiny. Shiny. So I mentioned that I made a lightsaber earlier. And uh, it is, um, I, I bought some filament specifically, and not specifically for this, for for various things. But there is, um, I bought three spools of filament 
that are silk silver, silk gold, and silk copper. Uh-huh. Whenever a filament is quote unquote silk, yeah. silk, and then the color, that is, it's shinier. Like it, it when it's it's printed, it looks kind of like it's metallic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely got like a little sheen to it. Yeah. So part of this lightsaber is silk gold. So it kind of looks shiny gold. And the most of it is uh, silk silver. Are you going to be printing coins? I think I might, yeah. actually. If if we're able to get some sort of a a, uh, a game going. Because, like, in the player's handbook, it has pictures of what 5th edition coins look like. Yeah. So I think I might print some silver, silver copper, and uh, and gold coins. They'd be pretty so. cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for our, uh, for our regular questions today. But we do still have our social media questions. The last social media question was... Fiends, Celestials, Slods, Modrons, etc. What are your favorite extra planar creatures? Hmm. I think I said Slods, Slods, just because there's like a bunch of different types. Yeah, and a, you know, and a, I like I like monsters that have like variety and yeah. like and, and they kind of like they live in different uh, environments and stuff like that. Sure, I kind of like how. Um, Slods always, with every book, they, like, add some sort of a new quirk to Slods. Yeah. In 5th edition, I think all Slods have, like, a gem in their brain that if you're able to extract it without killing them, you gain, like, complete control over them or something. Right, yeah, something wacky. That's so, that's wild. But, uh, but I'll, hey, I'm on board for it. Um, So, over on, uh, over on Facebook, Chris F., our good friend Chris. Dang. Who's on the show, uh... 120 episodes ago or whatever. Uh, Chris says, Chitons, so many tactical ways to use them. And he's, of course, referring to chain devils. Oh, The right. devils that they're wrapped up in chains. They can animate chains. Yeah. Chris once had a character who had access to the spell that they use to animate chains. And so every every battle, he would animate a bunch of chains, all of which were serrated and laminated <laughs> and critted on a 12 to 20 uh-huh. and would do times four damage or whatever. And it, it was ridiculous. He would grab a handful <laughs> of D20s, roll it, hit, hit, crit, crit, hit, roll them again, hit, crit, crit, ooh, roll it again, not a critical fumble, crit. <laughs> and uh that's just that was his standard that <laughs> he pull out a calculator and he punch out <laughs> 260 damage um but yeah I, I i like devils and i love chitons i think chitons are probably my my favorite devil as well hmm. um shoot i i didn't think I, I don't think i said what my answer was i think mine was uh inevitables which are like a mechanical outsider from mechanist right the like the marut the marut is one of them the zelicut is another I'm blanking on what the other one is, but like they, they like hunt down people that exploit time or death. Like liches will, will, Ooh. um, will come under the fire of a Marut eventually and, and so on and so on. Cause they're like, they're like times enforcers. They, that hunt people down and sure kill them. So Was, wasn't there a Marut that showed up? Or was it a cockatrice? Dang it. Probably you know a cockatrice. What? You know, we'll, hold on. Just... We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <sighs> um, Lisa G says, you misspelled salads. <laughs> What's your favorite that's, uh, salad? That's, that's, um, fruit? Fruit salad? salad? I don't really like salad. Oh, what? <sighs> um, but man, toss some bananas and strawberries in there. I'm, I'm on board with that. <laughs> uh, uh, Jason E says, devils. Last campaign, I had a whole adventure built around a contract devil. They were trapped in this extra planar prison and everyone else there had made a deal with the devil pun intended, to secure their escape, but all the deals had trick clauses, so they could never really escape. It was super fun, and throughout uh, 
And throughout, the devil kept reappearing to offer them contracts for their souls. Mm. There you go. Sean M. says, I had a hippie playboy bard Asimar who went to farm mushrooms with the Myconids. Tieflings seem fun, too. Huh. I actually don't really consider, personally, I don't consider uh, tieflings to be extraplanar creatures because, like, in 5th edition, at least they, I mean, well, in, in my own canon, they're not demons at all. Sure. But in, in the 5th edition canon, they are, I think they are, like, humans or humanoids that made some sort of a deal with the devil and that's what altered them to sure yeah whatever i'm not gonna i'm not gonna police people's answers i'm just saying they're fine i didn't didn't think of tieflings i guess right they're far enough removed from fiends that they're not quite you know like they you know i think in third edition uh there were like the sub subtypes in 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 uh Yes. There were like monster types, your creature type and your sub, there are subtypes. Yeah. I, I do think they had the extra planar subtype right. back then. Yeah. So, but like nowadays they're, they've changed the lore a bit. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, one more on Facebook, Ryan P says, I like the gin. Oh yeah. Which, uh, you know, short answer, but that, yeah, gin are pretty cool. Yeah. I always wondered like, you know, creatures that just in, like innately have the ability to cast a wish, like. Yeah, I mean they can't cast it for themselves. That's true, but there's right. way, there's ways to get around. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like you can have two wishes if I get one. You know. Like. Yeah. Over on Reddit, Pruno says Modrons had the Modron march go through magical Detroit. Later adventures, they would just come across one or two of them, just measuring and recording random objects. Huh. So yeah, the Modrons—they're the like primary. I'd say the primary outsiders from Mechanus. Yeah. They're like, they follow a strict hierarchy. There are these like mechanical, I think they're like, some of them are circles. Some of them are squares. Some of them are triangles yeah. or like figure eights or whatever. Yeah. They can only do as many actions or as many things as like they're, as tied to their, yeah, like their shape like or something that. like but that. But what, what Pruno was referring to is the Modron, the great Modron March is this thing that happens like every, however many thousand years. On exactly the on a, the exact same, it's like one full rotation of the biggest cog in Mechanus, I think, is when they do it. Okay. They, like this army of Modrons, marches across the multiverse doing something. Like, they probably end up killing and destroying a lot of things in the process, but, like, nobody knows why they do this. Yeah. If there's a specific purpose, <laughs> if... I don't know. So like it's a, it's a thing. There was like a couple second edition adventures about it, I think. Huh. And so anyway, you say something about them like just measuring things. Well, then, then Pruno said later they would they would just find a Modron that was like measuring random objects. Yeah. So maybe like sounds the, interesting to me. Maybe it was like the march is they like uh, mechanist just kind of goes in and like takes down all the data on all the other maybe uh, yeah, all the other planes. Um, I do know there was a second edition adventure, and. I don't remember what it's called, but spoilers for whatever the second adv- second edition adventure is. Uh, it starts off with the Great Modron March happens early. Like, people know when it's going to happen next, and it happens like several thousand years early. And it turns out it's because Orcus, the demon lord Orcus, was killed and came back as a god. He then infiltrated Mechanus, killed the top Modron took its place and then told the rest of the Modrons to start the march now in the hopes that they would find and retrieve his weapon, the Wand of Orcus. So like that was like the, the adventure hook is Modrons are 
walking across the multiverse killing everybody right or whatever whatever the heck modrons do sure and then it turns out that that's that's the cause of it. <laughs> anyway also on reddit alistar the minotaur says i gotta go with celestials with a demon or devil you pretty much know what you're getting it's rare i've encountered a genuine devil that isn't that isn't looking to legally obtain someone's soul or a devil whose pastime isn't raiding and pillaging but a celestial full of righteous conviction can do some pretty hellacious acts in the name of doing good. It can make for an interesting narrative when the good aligned party is forced to fight a being composed of the pure essence of righteousness and justice because it went ahead with plan eradicate the faithless with a bit too much further. Mm. And I definitely I can get behind that. Yeah. Um, I think Chris once said the most terrifying villain is a paladin. Right. And... Yeah, if there is someone that ostensibly is fighting for the forces of good, what does it mean when their goals don't align with yours and it causes a conflict? Right. Like, that can be a pretty terrifying thing. That's pretty scary. Might, yeah. You might not be doing something wrong, but they believe in their cause at least as strongly as you believe in yours. Mm -hmm. So, what do you, yeah. Well, I, that's, yeah. That's one of my one of my best, one of my favorite uh, conflicts is is that right there uh we just got one on twitter that's carl with a k says i love elementals in all their forms i'd love to run a campaign on the plane of mechanists i also love the concept of modrons and i also love elementals hmm. so modrons and elementals yeah. from from carl with a k uh, and elementals are another one i didn't even think of like that makes those are they're really cool that's that makes perfect sense but wasn't even in my head when i was when i was posing this question mm-hmm uh, and we got just a couple on uh, on Discord. Dustin F says the Zelicut from Mechanus are my favorite, and they are they're one of the inevitables. Mm. They are basically lawful terminators. When one is released <laughs> towards its target, it simply begins walking towards it across plains, through oceans. Nothing slows its progress. Should it be destroyed in its quest to bring its target to justice, another one is released. They are truly inevitable. Mm. So these ones are they are like robotic um they are mechanical centaurs and their arms have spike chains coming out of them oh geez. If, if i'm remembering them right yeah yeah Ugh. so they, they're they're definitely up there um shadow hand silver bones says the marut <laughs> and then i uh i i i put a little emoji of a chicken right <laughs> so in in our age of worms campaign a long time ago Steve was playing a character named Shadowhand Silverbones, and I had him roll like a religion check or something. Somebody mentioned a Marut, and I had him roll a, a religion check to see if he knew what that was. And he was a cleric, so like he should have known, but he rolled really low. So I described a cockatrice instead. <laughs> and then later when he encountered a, a cockatrice, I was like, you see a Marut. And so he all he knows is that this weird chicken thing is like one of these those like horrifying extra planar creatures that will kill anybody that gets in its way. Right. So, yeah. so there you go. Because yeah, I was, I was trying to remember which way the joke was. Was it that a Marut actually showed up? Nope. And you were, we were calling it a cockatrice, not realizing, no, 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 this thing is going to kill us. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> good times. And that's actually, that's actually all we got. I thought we got a couple more. But uh, on Discord, it was just just those ones. Mm. So, um, so yeah, that was that was the last question. I think I think we got some good answers with that one. Uh, so that brings us to our next social media question, and this goes along with uh, today's discussion topic. 
What is your favorite type of fantasy currency? Hmm. So, you know, you've got your gold coins. You've got your electrum, which is like halfway <laughs> between a silver and a gold. Right. You've got trade goods. You know, what? What you got astral diamonds. <laughs> what is your favorite type of, of, of any kind of fantasy currency? Uh, have you seen The Mandalorian yet? Yes. I just watched it a few days ago. Okay. The, the, uh. Not really spoilers for the for yeah, the Mandalorian. Like it's the first episode or the, something. Yeah, it's the first episode. There's the 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 calamari like the the fish people. Yeah, they apparently have their own currency, and they're like oh. these little like like jelly looking pucks. Right. Okay, I thought you were referring to something else. I yes. Oh yeah. Yes. So, so like the begin at the beginning of the of the first episode of Mandalorian, yeah. there's basically like a, an exchange of money, and it's mm-hmm. like. It's like oh, in it, like one of the currencies used are like there's just like these little like discs made of like <laughs> like if a jellyfish was mushed into the form of a coin. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. I I did that didn't even I didn't commit that to memory. Right, that, that makes a lot of sense. The, like the 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 foley that they use for it, like the, there's like a they use a, there's like a little sound, like a little squishy sound effect yeah. when they when they move it. <laughs> that's but pretty good. That, that's that's in more recent memory, uh, but. Another currency I like that I that I always remember because it's from a game that I like, but it's not fantasy currency. It's mm-hmm. pieces of eight. Okay. Which is just like doubloons. Sure. I mean I mean gold yeah. coins were were yeah. a real thing too. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that's fine. But uh from the uh the Monkey Islands series sure. where they're in their their Caribbean and they have like doubloons and stuff like that, but they're using pieces of eight. Sure. Where where the was the currency in that. If you've seen uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Captain right. Jack Sparrow has hanging down from his hair or whatever like a little silver coin on the end of one of his dreadlocks yeah and that is a piece of eight. Oh, nice because it, it comes into play in the third movie i think does it so huh. it's like one of the one of the the relics that restores what's her face to her power or something Don't oh. worry about it. okay it was not one of the series the best moments but um <laughs> uh i thought when, I, when you said the mandalorian i thought you were going to bring up the fact that he the main character is a bounty hunter and he when he turns in a bounty to this uh, was one per- particular person, he is given basically like a bar of a specific yeah, metal. It's just like an ingot. Yeah, yeah. An, an ingot of this specific metal, which his people use to fashion their armor. Right. So like getting a piece of that means that he gets more more status because he gets more armor. Right. Yeah. So I, I thought that was where you were going. But yeah. uh, um, I would probably say I'll try to see if I can come up with a better answer. But in the Dragonlance books. I think it's part of the world that like uh, part of the world building that iron is really rare. Mm. So as a result, steel coins are the primary currency. They are more valuable than gold coins. Right. Steel is so, so rare. Right. Yeah. So that's cool. Yep. Um, All right. Well, that'll do it for our questions for today. But before we close out, let's uh, take a deep breath. (sighs) Let's uh, remember those who have come before us, maybe who have, who have paid their way so that we may no no no. so the per... the person the people who were in the drive through in front of us that paid our <laughs> our bill so that because we... that's a th- so that we may have a free meal let's remember them <laughs> as we toss another log onto the funeral pyre Today's Funeral Pyre story was submitted by Lucan Quildrake on Reddit, and uh, it goes as follows. My Hexblade Warlock is fighting an Iron Golem. The Cleric is about dead and throws a bead of force, not fully comprehending what it does. 
The golem and I both fail and are trapped in a force bubble together. Ugh. In real life, players around the table are deciding how to split up my gear after my death in the near future. <laughs> so I give the middle finger to everyone while I throw a full necklace of fireball beads at my feet, destroying pretty much everything inside the bubble, myself included. <laughs> Just take it all with you. There you go. There you go. They're destroying the value of those items. Right. Economy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ain't worth nothing now, Jack. Exactly. So yeah, um, I guess let's uh, let's <laughs> let's raise a glass in memory of Luke and Quildrake's character, who reminds us there is no such thing as a free piece of gear. Clink. Clink. All right. To submit questions for us to discuss, items for the Dragon's Horde or stories for the funeral pyre, please email us at interpartyconflict at gmail.com. For show notes, links to media mentioned on the show, and running lists of questions and magic items, go to interpartyconflict.com. You can join the discussion on social media. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Reddit. You can find our Interparty Discord at uh, bit.ly slash interpartydiscord. And we're on Twitter at inpartyconflict. You can check those for our weekly social media questions. If you answer them, your answers might end up on the show. Find us on the podcatcher of your choice, iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, YouTube, uh, please review us, rate us, subscribe, or just tell a friend. We, you know, we would always love some word of mouth. Any kind of uh, support you guys can give us that way would be great. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to support the show monetarily, you can ch- check us out at patreon.com slash interpartyconflict. We have a few different tiers, which will hopefully in the near future be getting some more benefits. And so anything you can spare, even a dollar a month, would help make the show better and get you some bonus content in return. Jeff, tell us about FriendQuest. FriendQuest is a YouTube channel where we play video games. Yes. Speaking of video games, I have a side project, the Arcade Memories Podcast. You can check that out on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, all that kind of stuff. And if you want to submit anything for it, submit it to arcadememoriespodcast at gmail.com. Also, head over to bit.ly slash interpartyconflict to take a short survey about our show. What you like, what you don't like, etc. And just for taking it, you'll get two free printable board games, courtesy of Mary and Tom over at hollandspiel.com. And our music is made by Boxcat Games from Nameless to Hackers RPG. So, Jeff, until next time, you got change for a 20? Yeah.